0: Rust.
2: Well, if it isn't the Star-Spangled Man with a plan, what is your plan today? Up to
5: Neverland! All right, Neverlanders, take your pixie out of your pockets, sprinkle some pixie dust around, get it everywhere, all over and into all those weird places up your nose, uh, <laughs> because... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Eric is Ooh. still suffering a little bit of convention crud.
1: <laughs> uh, that, so that, that, that was that was the pixie dust there. Yeah. Ooh. Well, you got you yeah.
5: got to breathe it in. See, it's 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 a got a good healing thing. You
1: got to breathe that stuff in. There we go. There we We're, go. Yes, I, I, I'm go. still trying. Well, it'll, hopefully it'll help with this cough. Hopefully it
5: will because yeah, you, you got to get that into your system. And then of course you know what you do when you got your pixie dust, right? Oh yes. Wait, remind me. You gotta grab that happiest thought, or think of it if course. you have to. And we're flying, we're off the ground. Oh, and by the way, who are we? I I, I bet you're wondering, because this may be the first time you've listened to us. Well, I am head last, last boy Jeremy. They call me the Spider Pan, because all of us last boys, we have to have a name, and I am the Pan. And of course, with me, as most of the time, is last boy Eric. We've been missing him for two uh, two weeks. It has
1: been a busy summer, I'll tell you. <laughs> yes, it has. You're
5: running around from convention to convention, helping out the great Adrian Rapp sell oh, yes. some fantastic art. In
1: fact, I'll, I'll be at another convention in two weeks.
5: Is this going to be the uh, the one there in Utah, the Salt Lake City?
1: Oh no, this is called uh, the Versus Comic Con, and it's taking place in Seaside, Oregon, on the 21st and 22nd of July. Awesome! So if you happen to be in Oregon, come say hi. Yep. Hey, it's right by the ocean. Couldn't be better. I don't know what seagulls
5: sound like. No, they do. Mine, mine. Mine. Yes, exactly. I should know that. (laughs) You'd think I know this sort of thing. Well, I've actually been fairly busy here lately myself. Uh, yes, I, I
1: heard heard you had a great Fourth of July.
5: Yes, I went up to Marceline, Missouri, because I'm only about two hours away. Uh, I've been wanting to do this for years because you know they we were just talking about this with uh, with Paul Berry and with Jedi Schwa that. Mm-hmm. The Main Street USA is supposed to be like Main Street on the 4th of July. And that's why it's supposed to be red, white, and blue. And there's a barbershop quartet. You know, it's supposed to be there. So I thought, well, this must have been inspired by young Walt in Marceline celebrating the 4th of July. And I found out, you know, they have a big carnival there and a live music. They party for a week. They have a big fireworks display. Uh, and so I was like, I got to go. And I found out the fireworks display was going to be launching at about 11 o'clock at night. Ooh. So I said, okay, we're going to have to stay in a hotel room. And I elected to go with at least an $80 room over at the Super Eight, but we tried to save some money and did a $50 room at a no-tell motel that Ooh. was, I, I didn't sleep. I didn't sleep. <laughs> the air conditioner was so loud. I oh, knew goodness. That I ended up having to get up there, and I thought, well, one of us needs to sleep. Heather's going to be driving home, because I thought I would be driving and working on Thursday. So I went, and I, you know, I made sure, because I have to have a TV on to kind of sleep. And mm-hmm. it was the, unfortunately, the way we sleep, it was on Heather's side of the bed. And so I was like, well, let me turn that off. I'm going to turn off the air conditioner. It's going to get warm. Of course, it wouldn't be that much different, because the air conditioner wasn't really keeping the room that cool anyway. Mm. We had a heat wave, my goodness, and the humidity. And but near the air conditioner was cool, but the rest of the room was just eh. Hmm. So I figured it wouldn't be that different. I thought, okay, if we do all this, Heather will at least fall asleep, and she did. So. We, we got through it, but at least, you know, Marceline, uh, there was a group called Riverside that was there playing a lot of classic rock and a whole lot of country that I was like, whoop-dee-doo, I don't care about your country, but hey, you played some classic songs, awesome. So, but they were fun, you know, and, you know, they're like in their 60s, and they had the 66-year-old dude playing guitar, r- rocking some blues riffs out, and he's like getting going, I'm like, hey, 66 is no age to worry about. <laughs> you know, you can still rock some guitar. <laughs> so he was getting going. It was fun. They were all older guys and they they were fun. Uh, right. So we had a good time, you know, had some snow cones and some nachos with chili on them. Uh, just had fun. Had a good Dusty Miller, which is basically it's at this place called Mavix, where there is ice cream and chocolate syrup and malt powder on there. And of all the comedy things, if you all follow Dr. Jeff Barnes on Facebook, he is becoming known for standing there and taking photos with ice cream because he, like me, loves ice cream. And he'll always say, in my defense. Uh, and I found out actually from you that while I was Marceline, he was in Kansas City visiting the laugh studio and going to a Royals game because apparently one of our Royals players is one of his students from the university there in California. So that was cool. Uh, But then we were crossing each other in transit he was on his way to Marceline to drop off some signed copies of his books at the museum and he was going to be there by 11 but we wanted to be home sooner than that because we knew we were going to have a cat that needed to be fed that morning so we couldn't stick around so I just missed actually getting to meet him in person Uh, but I did encourage him to try a Dusty Miller and he actually met with Peter Whitehead uh, which by the way you're going to hear him later on the show to talk about some exciting things happening there in Marceline Uh, and they went to mob. Vicks, and he took a picture with Peter and both of them had a Dusty Miller. So,
1: <laughs>
5: <laughs> so I and I said, hey, I got to get some credit on that recommending it. So he's like, okay. So, but yeah, he was he tried to coordinate with me. He's so like, oh well, what are you still going to be there about eleven? I said, no, we got to go home. So mm-hmm. we probably passed each other there on Thirty Six Highway. If I'd have known what his car looks like, I guess he's been on a road trip because he was on his way into Chicago.
1: Yes, I'd seen that as well.
5: Uh, he's probably going to go look at the uh, the Walt Disney home there, mm-hmm. the birthplace. I guess that's what he was doing. I haven't seen any other photos. Uh, I'll just I know he went to a Cubs game, so that was kind of fun. I almost got to meet him in person. Mm.
1: <laughs> well, hey, there. There's always opportunities out there.
5: Yeah, we'll we'll try again sometime. Uh, but some other exciting things I want to tell you all about is, uh, granted, I'm not getting paid for this. This is volunteer because it's community radio. But it's me taking another step into a career that it started with that first podcast nearly five years ago. Hmm. And has landed me going to university, studying everything, you know, from video to audio learning to work and hone my craft a little bit more for radio. I actually now have a show on 102.7 FM that, well, its reaches really mainly just Clay County, Missouri. It's, it's a small station because it's community radio and it's an only an hour long show. But I had just launched it here. Uh, the first show was on uh, July 7th here at 10 a.m. Central Time. I'm getting to actually play some Christian rock music. So if you're interested in that sort of thing, uh, guess what? You can listen. If you go to 102.7fm.rocks or, heck, go to solidrock.neverlandpodcast.com. I've been building a page there. Uh, you can find out actually on the tune in app on your phone. If you have it, you can actually listen to this station. All right. Uh, if you look for like uh, – it's like – KPGZ yeah, I think was, I I should remember the call letters K I think I believe it's KPGZ uh, I usually I have sounders now. I can have it to hit the button to play to say the call letters for me, so I don't have to remember. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> it is Carney's Community Radio. But I actually have a show on radio. I pre-record it like a week in advance because I have to turn it into my my, my boss person uh, by that Monday. So I've actually been recorded the show for the fourteenth by the time we're recording now and turned that one in. Uh, so I I'm I'm now going to be I'm two weeks in of recording and I'm having fun. I've had All to right. mix it up. I play a lot of. I like to listen to a lot of metal type hard rock stuff, but I've had to mix in some other stuff because, uh, yeah, I, they wanted a healthy mix and not all rock. And so I'm playing a lot of stuff from the '90s, and so I'm throwing in some boys. I'm trying to not play any Casting Crowns because everybody tells me they're sick of hearing them because they're everywhere. So, <laughs> no Casting Crowns here. But I'm playing a lot of fun stuff. So if you're into that kind of thing, or just want to spend some time on Saturday with me listening to some music, come and check it out. I'm having fun. It's great. I'm excited.
1: Excellent. Excellent.
5: Okay, Uh, anything else we should tell anybody before we just dive into a couple of quick news stories that I thought
1: was kind of cool? You know, there's nothing coming to mind, but uh, yeah, let's take a look at the news.
0: spanning the Disney and Geek Universe to bring you the best in comics, toys, movies, and entertainment. This is news from around Neverland.
5: Okay, just to kind of get it out of the way, because we haven't talked about it in a couple of weeks, because I've been so busy, uh, Toy Story Land and Pixar Pier have opened. And yes. people are pretty excited and seem to be enjoying it. I've only heard just a little bit of criticism on, on uh, Pixar Pier that a few things weren't quite ready to open. hmm But overall, I've seen some stuff about the Incredicoaster.
1: That looks really cool. It does. It looks fun, and it looks like, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, enough, uh, several people are saying that that, it is a new and a different experience, uh, and has really uh, brought a new life to the coaster.
5: Oh, yes. And I've seen a little bit of stuff about some of the rides over there in Toy Story Land.
1: That looks I, I want to go so bad. <laughs> you know, I'm going to wait for the crowds to die down. Cause, That's true. Uh, three hour wait for Slinky Dog uh, might be a little much, but, you know, i the videos that I've seen have really surprised me. Uh, Slinky Dog Dash is so much more than what I had initially expected it to be. I thought it was just going to be a simple uh, loop out and back, maybe a couple of twists and turns, but no, this is a, uh, you know, it's not a full-fledged major roller coaster, but it's got quite a bit of track and quite a bit of distance and a lot going on with it.
5: And they even have like Slinky Dog headband hat things. (laughs) (laughs) I want one. Oh, Um, yes. but and if I'm, somebody feels like sending me one of those little cups with the alien in it, uh, uh, just you know, send me an email. I'll even give you an address somewhere or meet you somewhere in a dark alley that you can hand it to me and not, not mm-hmm. kill me, hopefully. So shouldn't you know. have said anything about a dark alley.
1: <laughs> well, maybe now that Toy Story Land is open, maybe there's an opportunity for a few more people to uh, ride uh, Flight of Passage over in Animal Kingdom now.
5: <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe come August, things are supposed to slow down around in August in the parks. So
4: mm-hmm. maybe but, that's uh,
5: when you get your chance.
1: You know, I actually have the uh, Disney World app on my phone now, and I looked it up on Thursday, and there was no wait longer than an hour there at Toy Story of Land. So oh, that being what it is. Thursdays a yep, day to go, get your
5: I guess. Chance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that midweek week thing where it kind of slows down makes sense. Oh, but uh, t- this is pretty neat. Uh, I, I I figure she's got to be a Disney legend by now, and if she's not, maybe she will be, or at least you know maybe she'll get a window on May Street. But oh my goodness, she's 96 year old and a former cast member, Kay Whitmack. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she actually was an original Emporium cast member. And she's come back to Disneyland Resort to, for a visit. Uh, she worked there from 1955 and 1958 until the early 60s. The Emporium was operated by a separate company. but she So she was one of the originals. It looks like uh, she worked there I guess, only three years. Is that all we really have about her working there? Yeah, But that's still, what she's it one like. of the
1: originals. Well, and did you see why it was that she came back?
5: Uh, let me see. Uh, see, I didn't read everything, but she's actually a World War II veteran.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, so she uh, has a, I uh, don't oh know, I saw this earlier today. Uh, her niece uh, is a cast member by the name of Susan Hibbert. Oh, cool. uh, and she works in attractions and is a trainer in Fantasyland and has always enjoyed hearing her aunt's stories of working there at the Emporium in those early days. And so, you know, through this niece itself, they were able to invite her to come back and uh, visit the park. That's very
5: cool, but I guess if you've only worked there three years, they're probably not going to put your uh, name on a window or make you a Disney Legend. I guess, are they?
1: No, no, you know. But of course, you know we, we do know of some cast members that have, you know, certainly put in considerable years of service there, such as mm-hmm. uh, Oscar Martinez, uh, who was the oh, yeah. uh, chef at, uh, Car- uh, at the Carnation Cafe. Uh, you know, but certainly I know that uh, you know if you follow a uh, writer by the name of David Caning. Uh, he you know has built up a rapport with some of these uh, club fifty fivers uh, who were there mm-hmm. at the beginning. And I know that uh, you know he keeps track of of them and you know if, if anything big happens with their lives, he'll share it with uh, readers of his blog. So mm-hmm. uh, but, but still well, this is a great opportunity for you know everyone to you know learn a little bit about this uh, this, this lady who was there right from the very beginning.
5: Yeah, they even honored her with when they did the flag retreat because of being a veteran. How cool mm-hmm. is that? Oh, that is very cool. I wonder what, because uh, I guess back then you would have served in, what did they call the... Uh, the, the wax? Yeah, the wax. She must have served probably in the wax. Wonder mm-hmm. what uh, all she was doing. That I bet she's got a lot of stories. I hope somebody is recording her stories, writing these down so they're not lost when we lose her. She's oh, an yeah. elderly woman, you know, and yeah, you, we've got to preserve her stories, her legacy, and her life. Mm-hmm. Oh, but uh, speaking of a legacy... Oh, yes. uh, Would you like to buy some tickets, say, July the 11th for an event starting November 22nd that's called, I don't know, the Candlelight Processional at Epcot?
1: Hey, nothing like it being
5: prepared. Yes, be prepared for the coup of the century. Wait a minute, we're not going to have a coup. But... (laughs) They have a list of some of the celebrity presenters uh, from. uh, Well, let me just go through the list of names real quick. But you know, Mm -hmm. just remember that there's dining packages. They're going on sale on Wednesday, July the 11th. So that is this week. Uh, We've got Cheetah Rivera coming, Neil Patrick Harris once again, Whoopi Goldberg, Blair Underwood, Gary Sinise. Oh come on, (laughs) Gary Sinise, Pat Sajak, Edwards James, almost. And okay, it's the day after Christmas. Uh, but Jodie Benson, the Little Mermaid herself. I mean, come on.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, hmm And these aren't the only, I guess, that they'll have presenting uh, this year at the uh – you know for the ceremony, there are still several dates that uh, there's still a host yet to be announced, so yeah, there to are going to be, gonna be more names Yep,
5: <laughs> so definitely, but yeah, get in there and get your <laughs> tickets with your dining package. Uh, I, I'm not going to get in some details because you know we are limited on some of our time today because I have so much, but yeah, go in there. Uh, you're looking at about a $38 to $50 to $55. Bill, depending upon you breakfast, lunch, or dinner, that's for an adult. Of course, the children will be twenty-two dollars or sixteen ninety-nine. Mm-hmm. There, of course, will be some tax. But yeah, make sure you go if you're wanting to go this year, this Wednesday, July eleventh. Go ahead, get your tickets because they're probably going to sell out pretty fast. Uh, oh boy! Now we—I hate it when we have to do the bad news. But let's celebrate! Yes. Steve Ditko. Now, you and I know who he is. I, some of our listeners probably know who he is, but I bet there's a few people who are not familiar with Steve Ditko. Uh, but he basically, I know he had a falling out with Stan Lee for a while because Stan Lee really was getting a letting out of the credit for like Spider-Man and Doctor Strange and all these characters because Stan Lee, of course, was a writer. But Steve Ditko did help in the creation of, of Doctor Strange and Spider-Man, and Steve Ditko was a great artist, and he's the one that came with that iconic look for Spider-Man.
1: Exactly. He was the artist for Spider-Man all the way from Amazing Fantasy 15 uh, up through, you know, to the time when John Romita took over.
5: hmm And I think I'm always going to think of the John Romita look, but... Really looking, uh, uh, they've got some images on the New York Times website of Amazing Spider-Man number 33, where's the very famous bit where, and they, I, I, I did appreciate in Homecoming that they kind of recreated this, of Spider-Man kind of being buried underneath this heavy machinery and pushing yeah. his way free, but you kind of can see that this is what John Romita must have been looking at that inspired the way he was drawing Spider-Man. Because uh, mm-hmm. it's got a bit more muscle detail than what... Because Steve Ditko, when he originally did it, and I've, I've heard him people credit him, he used to do a lot of horror comics. And so he gave Spider-Man this kind of scary, awkward, angly look, gangly, look most of the time. yeah. Yeah, yeah. gangly. And, but the way he would position his body would be a little creepy. And mm-hmm. he gave Spider-Man that creepy spider-ness. Uh, and so, uh, Steve Ditko, uh, we are going to miss you. He just passed away at 90. Uh, he did, We got so much we owe him, especially me being a huge Spider-Man fan. Oh, yeah. Well,
1: uh, and well. and and as much as, you know as we we should credit him and thank him for his contributions for Spider-Man, let's not forget he also created Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. There's you know several Charl Charlton characters or Charlton characters that he created, like the Question. Uh, he created the Creeper for DC. Um, I've even got one of his books where. Um, it's a number one of one of his creations, Speedball. Oh, cool! So I've got I've got a you know a first print, first edition copy of one of his books. Wow! So you know I'm I'm you know it's sad that you know he hasn't gotten much recognition. A lot of that is because he was has been and was a recluse. Uh, some people said that he's the J.D. Salinger of comics. <laughs> yeah, he rarely did any interviews. Um, he rarely spoke out about whatever it was that uh, caused him to leave Marvel initially. Um, you know, we do know that there was some, you know, sadness and and, and some bad blood between him and uh, Stanley, as, as there definitely was with Jack Kirby. Speaking yeah. of which, one thing that's a, a, a little upsetting to me is a lot of the images that have been uh used the these past couple of days as we've learned of this passing have been the cover of Amazing Fantasy 15. He did not draw that. He didn't? No. That was That's Jack Kirby.
5: Hmm. Yeah, cause I, I, I've i looked at New York Times also in the Hollywood Reporter and uh, yeah, they have the amazing so Jack Kirby actually did this cover. Jack Kirby did that cover. Yeah, because you can t- you can tell it's a
1: different style than what you find inside the book. Mm hmm. That's interesting. You know, but gratefully, a lot of the articles that I've been reading have certainly been using his own artwork. And and again, the, um, the final chapter uh, with Spider-Man trapped under all that wreckage in mm-hmm. Dr. Octopus's underwater lab, you know, that that was so iconic. And it did have such an impact as to, you know, what they did with Spider-Man Homecoming. But uh, yeah. certainly we have lost uh, someone who is really a, a very unique uh, individual and somebody who really, you know, there are people who changed the comic book industry, and uh, Steve Dickel is definitely one of them.
5: Yeah, and uh, I've even found here on the New York Times website that he's actually even credited for helping to develop the Green Goblin, Dr. Octopus, mm-hmm. and some of the supporting characters. Mm-hmm. So, his yeah, of course, because he designed the look. A lot of the major villains appeared in those early issues uh, like right. the Fulcher and Electro so yeah Steve Ditko thank you so much uh, yes. for making my childhood and even my adulthood a little better for characters that I still love
1: mm-hmm. I agree
5: definitely okay but uh, we need to move on to the trailer park because uh, I saw a couple of trailers in front of Ant-Man and the Wasp which we're gonna have a review of later
4: Mama, now the Gator got in the house Now the Gator... Give me that joke. Come here! Ow. Ow. Get, Get that ah. ah.
0: The Neverland Trailer Park
4: Last
1: stop. Lewis? I'm your Uncle Jonathan.
3: Are you wearing a robe?
1: It's a kimono. Here we are. Home
2: sweet home. You're Lewis, I presume? How was your trip?
1: This old hag is my neighbor.
2: I'm relieved to see you didn't inherit your uncle's freakishly oversized head. My
4: God, did that withered purple skeleton just speak?
5: You'll see, it's quite different here.
2: Have a look around. You're perfectly safe.
3: That's safe? As long as it's fed. Do you know what a warlock is, Lewis? A boy witch. I think they're a little more than boy witches.
2: Are you saying that you're a warlock?
0: Please teach me, please, please. Okay,
1: have it your way. I can give you the right books, teach you the right spells, but that last one percent,
2: that's up to you. I don't want the creepy little runt. Think I want him? Lucky shot. You've told Lewis everything?
5: Well, not everything. Do you hear the ticking? 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 This house used to be owned by another warlock.
4: He's very wicked. Very powerful.
5: He left a
1: hidden clock in the walls.
4: We don't know what it does except something horrible.
2: gongs last time it was four what happens when it gets down to one nothing good that's for certain we have to destroy the clock so creepy
4: you can't do this alone i can help you you want to see some real magic i'll show you (laughs) God, I hate pumpkins. <laughs> Did
5: you see that? Okay, so the house with a clock in its walls. When I first saw it, I thought, "Oh, this is going to come out, you maybe near October. It's going to be this scary kind of haunted house and a little kid with a little bit of humor because Jack Black and then um, Kate, uh, not Hudson." Kate Blanchett. What,
1: what? Oh, Blanchett. Yes. <laughs> Kate
5: Blanchett in there, and she can be funny as well, and she makes a good villain. And so I thought, oh, it's going to be something about this creepy house. But now with this trailer, uh, I get—I believe when you saw it, you said, "Oh, look, it's Harry Potter in a house in the 1950s." Because yeah, it kind of <laughs> seems that way. Uh, but apparently, this is also based off a book. But this—this this put a different spin on what I was expecting because now there's some magic involved, and the house has still got something creepy about it. Uh, but. I, I was interested before. I am now, like, super excited. This kind of looks awesome.
1: Oh, yeah. You know, and this is definitely something that I've uh, – you know, when I saw that first trailer, it intrigued me. I have no idea what it is. I've never heard of the book. Uh, and this latest trailer just really got me all that much more excited for it. Uh, uh, in fact, it was my kids who, you know, first brought this to me uh, to let me know that this, you know, was a new movie coming out. And I'm like, wow. Wow. You know, this, this, this looks like it might be good and it might be something, you know, it's something different. It's, it's not what mm-hmm. I expected to see.
5: Yeah. So this might be another book I'm going to have to go out and buy and then never get a chance to sit down and read. <laughs> <laughs> I still have a copy of Wrinkle in Time, which uh, Heather has sat and read that one now, I believe. Uh, but I haven't sat down and read it yet. So oh, and I, is, I
1: fully intended to. The book is still much better than the movie.
5: Yeah, I did think the movie was fun, but yeah, it didn't do as well as you know. Not everybody really enjoyed it, and i I've, I've been kind of going back and forth if i if I think I want to buy that Blu ray that's out or not, because I'm thinking, eh, you know, money's a little tight. And like, I did enjoy it, but would I like it if I watched it a second time? Would I start seeing all the flaws in the armor, you know? But I I just had fun with it. Mm-hmm. I I kind of went in with not knowing what to expect, and I can I, I've understood some of the criticism. That people have But you know It was just nice To go and see Something kind of fun And positive And bright uh, So I'm hoping that uh, You know This book I will get a chance To take a look at it And maybe I should Watch the movie Before I read the book This time <laughs> With the house and the Clock On those walls I don't know
1: Perhaps But, perhaps. but you know there, There's a movie With an even older story Than this Coming out this Christmas
5: Is it a tale As old as time
1: Well uh, it's by the same makers <laughs> Yeah true true It's credited least... that way As the same studio that brought you Beauty
5: and the Beast, right, and a a lot of other these of these live action adaptations, Uh, and this is something Disney has tackled before uh, in the parks. uh, Walt, uh, Walt, I mean Mickey, almost the same guy. Mickey has had a Nutcracker uh, type of thing in the parks. uh, I believe they didn't they do a film with Macaulay Culkin like a long time ago, even trying to do Nutcracker.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know there was that. uh, uh, sequence from uh, fantasia 2000 the steadfast tin soldier which also had Mm. an awful lot of influence from the nutcracker now and the nutcracker itself is used as part of the music for the very first fantasia as well
5: yeah and the steadfast tin soldier that's uh what is the guy the guy who wrote the little mermaid actually wrote that one yes i love that that is a good story um but yeah, I'm, I'm, you almost sidetracked me because I almost forgot about that. But yes, that's a good story. The steadfast soldier—it's it'll make you cry a little bit, but oh, it's it's really good. So it's inspiring. But that's on Christian Anderson. That was his goal. He wouldn't inspire people. But anyways, but mm-hmm. so the Nutcracker and the Four Realms. We got to see a teaser a long time ago, and I was like, mm, whatever. But they actually had a full trailer, which I have not seen online. But it was in front of the Ant Man and the Wasp, and it gave a little bit more. Uh, and I know this is really trying to expand upon the story of the Nutcracker. And uh, it actually kind of looks like it might be kind of cool and fun and an adventure. Uh, it reminded me a lot, actually, of the Alice in Wonderland movie, which you know, I didn't really care for that one. I thought it was okay. Uh, I, was, I, I think part of it was maybe too much Tim Burton and Anne Hathaway's very stiff character. That I know, I, I, given maybe different director, I might have enjoyed that movie. But mm-hmm. I guess I just love the animated Alice in Wonderland too much that I just I couldn't get into it. Um, but this. If you take that idea uh, and maybe set it into the Nutcracker's Four Worlds of Fun and Christmas, but you have something bad happening, but instead of just a Rat King, you have, or is it an Emperor Rat? I don't remember, but you know, which I think in the ballet is dealt with pretty early, and then it's just fun going through this world. This is actually bringing in a different villain uh, to deal with. And in our current age where we're, you know, they're they're really trying to market up a lot more female heroines, Uh, we're getting another heroine. Uh, She's going to be Teaming with the Nutcracker, because really, I think she was the hero of the ballet anyway, right? Yeah,
1: she was. Well, yes, so, yes, definitely.
5: Here we go. Let's let's bring her story out to there in film, apparently. And it looks pretty cool. Uh, it's very... It almost has a Tim Burtoness feel. But, you know, I'm I'm, I'm kind of interested now that I've seen this full trailer. So this, this will be a Christmas movie. It's a long way off, but we're after the 4th of July, so we can talk about a Christmas movie. I don't have a trailer to play for you, but I'm actually getting interested in this now. I think this could be Pretty fun. Yeah. We are going to do a movie review of the Ant-Man and the Wasp, but I'm going to do that a bit later because Eric hasn't gotten to see it yet. So I don't want to spoil anything for him. Although I'm not, I am not, I don't plan to spoil it for you if you haven't seen it yet either, you listener. But I thought it would be fun to go through a little bit of some of the characters that came up and even some of the history. Uh, have you been seeing those True Believer comics that Marvel's been putting out?
1: Oh, yeah. You know, reprints of older uh, issues that they've had.
5: I love collecting those because they're only like a buck. Mm-hmm. So they've had a bunch of Wolverine ones they did for a while, but they've put out a series of Ant Man and the Wasp related type of thing. So I've gotten to see some of the early Ant Man. Uh, I've gotten to see where Scott Lang became Ant Man, but I got to see mm-hmm. some of the early Hank Pym, and it was interesting because uh, I'd heard of the Pym particles that he was using before, you know, in, in later times. But he actually had like a chemical that he had developed that he would pour on himself to shrink, and the early stuff, and mm-hmm. then he could grow himself by getting to, uh into another one. And the, the, one of the reprints was, I guess, the second time. He appeared in, I believe it's, was it Tales to Astonish? I think yeah. it is. Yeah,
1: that's where ant originally began: was in Tales to Astonish.
5: But it actually gave a little bit of flashback to the first issue of his first time. He uh, almost seemed to be in an accident. He shrunk himself, and he was trying to figure out how to go back to his regular size because he didn't prepare ahead of time, and he nearly got eaten by the ants because they, they were in defensive mode, and they were going to go get him. I don't know if they were going to eat him, but, I mean, you know, <laughs> they came after him. And so that's where it actually came around. He thought, I want to learn how to communicate with the ants. So he started learning that they were seemed to be using electrical signals to communicate with each other. And so it was neat to watching the origin of where he became a hero, where he is now starts working though with Janet Van Dyne, where and she's kind of bubbly compared to his very stoic science self. But yes, she is the early stuff where she just got has this dynamic crush on him, and he's kind of like, well, she's nice. I don't know what I'm doing because I'm a stiff scientist, you know that kind of thing. A little mm-hmm. bit of a Sue Storm Reed Richards thing, a little bit, I guess. Uh, so, but getting to see the early relationship with them, and uh, then moving on seeing how Scott Lang becomes the Ant-Man, and he's a little bit more heroic in his becoming the Ant-Man and stealing the suit. It's a bit more purposeful. He, he wants to save his daughter. Right. Uh, so, I, I, I don't know if he actually had, I mean, he, he had served sort of some time in prison for something, kind of a minor white-collar thing. mm mm-hmm. um, I don't know if it's quite the level of the uh, sneaky criminal thief that we've gotten in the films. I don't know if he's ever necessarily been like that, but he, the personality seems to be intact of be that kind of fun and having that sense of humor.
1: Uh, well, I, I feel fairly confident in saying that within the comics, um, Scott Lang never worked for Baskin Robbins. <laughs> That's true.
5: Uh, <laughs> in his defense of, of uh, liking ice cream. Okay, all right, there we go. Was a shout out to anybody. If anybody was paying attention to something I said earlier, So, but yeah, so there I was kind of researching because lately and I I should probably pick this up, but they released an Ant-Man and the Wasp number one Mm -hmm. uh, where there is seems to be a a Hope Van Dyne wasp, uh, which, of course, they'll, you know, Marvel Comics will try Mm -hmm. to match what people are going to be familiar with in the comics.
1: Well, not exactly a Hope Van Dyne.
5: Yeah, Uh, we have we do have a Hope Pym and apparently she's from a different Earth.
1: Right. Uh, In the current uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp comic book that's come out, it's a character by the name of Nadia Pym. And she is actually the daughter of Hank and his first wife, who was captured by the Russians way back in those tales to Astonish days. Huh. So she grew up uh, hearing about this Hank Pym, and uh, she actually joined the Marvel Universe, I'd say maybe about two years ago. Um, (laughs) About the time of the Ant-Man movie? uh uh Uh-huh, (laughs) uh-huh. And, you know, within the comic series, um, she's uh, defected from Russia, and uh, it's very much a a science-based title where, you know, she's, you know, it's part of the effort to, you know, encourage girls to go into STEM fields. Uh, And so there's a a big push in that. Uh, Not so Mm -hmm. much in the current series. Uh, They've gotten trapped within... Well, within the uh, Marvel Universe, they got trapped in the Microverse rather than the Quantum Realm, and they're trying to get back.
5: Ah, Yeah, because Hope Pym is really from a, a different universe uh, exactly. within the multiverse. And she exactly. actually a, was a supervillain called the Red Queen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they've got the idea of Hope. Uh, apparently, from this character, but they're they using Nadia as more of a similar
1: wasp in the comics compared to what exactly. you're going to see in the
5: films. Mm-hmm. You so. know, uh,
1: the great thing about, uh, you know, that I like about this Hope Van Dyne's character within the comic series is, yes, yeah, she does come from the comics, but it all began with uh, one of those what if comics. You remember those? Where they take oh, yes. kind of a premise and twist it, you know, so that something different happens. Yeah, I've actually got What If the Punisher had become Captain America. mm -hmm. Well, in this case, uh, it's a title called What If Spider-Man Had a Daughter? And it was set in the future. And it's all about uh, his daughter, Mayday Parker, as Hmm. Spider-Girl. Anyhow, uh, Marvel went ahead and built up a whole you know, small universe uh, around this called MC2, where you had the next generation of heroes, Hope Van Dyne being one of them, after she, you know, after this whole Red Queen situation, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. with Spider-Girl leading them, you had a version of the Juggernaut, you had a version of Wolverine, who was younger. Um, you know, it's just uh, kind of a, and it was really a fun series. It was written uh, and, and shepherded, really, by Tom DeFalco, who was one of the main Marvel editors from that mm. time.
5: Yeah, every time I think of Defalco, I'm going to think of the way they used to draw him in those little bullpen comic little one shots <laughs> with a, a cigar and <laughs> yelling at everybody. Ah, yeah, you're yeah. late. <laughs> and you'd have the other like artist who had the ponytail and the big long nose. I can't remember who that was supposed to have been, but oh yes, Marvel used to make fun of themselves. <laughs> uh, but another character you're going to see is uh, let's see what was his full name? Doctor William Barrett Foster, D.Sc., Ph.D. Uh, You're going to see this character played by Lawrence Fishburne in the film. Uh, He was known in the Marvel comics as Black Goliath. Or, in a lot of ways, just a Goliath. And he Mm -hmm. actually was for a while Giant Man. So he's connected in with the the uh, Ant-Man storyline as far as he got the ability to grow large, of course, from good old Hank Pym. Mm -hmm. Which I've gotten to see some of the early issues where Hank Pym was learning to enlarge himself. Uh, So this is really kind of neat to see this character. He was part of the Project Pegasus, which is actually mentioned in the film. Oh, wow. Yes, they bring it up. They didn't go too far into it. There was supposed to be something in the past, and uh, I don't want to really say a whole lot of it, but it is brought Mm. up. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, he has teamed with Power Man and fought the Circus of Crime. He has fought the Atom Smasher, uh, the second Vulcan, Stilt Man. Uh, He... Let's see. My goodness, a lot of different things going on. Uh, There's a long list of things, like team-ups. He was part of the West Coast Avengers at one point. Uh, Then, unfortunately, when the Civil War happened in the comics... Defenders. Oh, yes, and the Defenders. Uh, But in the Mm -hmm. Civil War, he was unfortunately killed by a clone of Thor. Chlor. Yeah, (laughs) Clore. (laughs) Chlor. So uh, he's got a nephew, Tom Foster, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks like he's coming up, and he might be the new Goliath, I guess. I'm not sure where they're going with that. Uh, but, yeah, it looks like he is going to be a new Goliath, and he's actually a member of Damage Control.
1: Yeah, I wish what, what I would love to see is a Damage Control TV series. Heck Yes. <laughs> I
5: and heard hey, that they fall- were going to do something with that, but I, you know, it never seemed to come to fruition.
1: But I heard yeah. they were talking about it. Oh, And they've already got Time Daily squared away as uh, the head for damage control. So. Yes.
5: She's used to TV. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> Put it on Netflix <laughs> if you got to. Exactly. No, um, but seriously, uh, you know, Bill Foster was a very important part of that whole Civil War storyline. Oh, you know, yeah. and, and I'm glad that they're able to bring him back, even if it is Perry White. That they're bringing <laughs> over. Well, you gotta love Lawrence Fishburne. I mean, come uh, on, he's yeah. Morpheus. <laughs> uh, yes, you know, and he he's there giving us our choice of pills.
5: <laughs> yeah, he didn't give a choice of pills this time, but uh, he's got a very interesting role to play in the film, and I think you're hmm. going to enjoy him. Uh, uh, I look forward to that. Uh, oh yes, because uh, he's he's just he's Lawrence Fishburne. Because you know, it's you gotta go. Uh, mm-hmm. I got kind of a uh, a character I recognize the name of, but I didn't know much about that uh, pops up, and I figure I should at least mention Sonny Birch.
1: Yeah, uh, he was a uh, chairman for Cross Technologies and Atomics. Yeah, and I I want to
5: watch this movie again to see if they mention Cross Technologies, because he does have a business he's running. mm Mm-hmm.
1: That is mentioned briefly. Well, and it was headed by Darren Cross, who was uh, Yellow Jacket in the last movie.
5: Right. And I think he might be somehow connected with that, but I I didn't catch it. Uh, I need to watch the first Ant-Man again. Uh, I actually don't own that one, but it's on my DVR. I need to go buy a copy. But uh, he actually was even affiliated with Obadiah Stane, which we all remember him. I mean, the Mm. great Jeff Bridges. Mm Mm-hmm. So he's kind of a, a businessman who's a little shady, uh, but it looks like you know he's been connected more to the Iron Man story area, but mm-hmm. seems to tie in pretty well uh, with the Ant Man storyline. So it was kind of cool to see a minor character coming up there. And speaking of other minor characters, and you're a bit more familiar with Jimmy Woo. I yes, guess.
1: I am. Uh, Jimmy Woo actually appeared back in the 1950s um, as this you know spy character within uh, atlas comics at the time and uh you know oh golly i want to say a few years ago but i know it's been closer to two decades ago uh marvel came out with a series called the agents of atlas in which jimmy woo was the lead character in this series and again he's he's a spy he's uh there to you know to make sure that uh things happen the way that they're supposed to happen and take action if it's not happening
5: Hmm. And it seems a lot of uh, his backstory has something to do with Yellow Claw. And I guess it was Yellow Claw was uh, this criminal that he was trying mm-hmm. to chase after. Uh, and I guess Jimmy was was actually going, it was supposed to be, with the Atlas Foundation, he was supposed to be replacing the Yellow Claw So before he immigrated to the United States. So there's there's something complicated in there that I'm not familiar with. But oh, yeah. he became a successful member of the FBI before later forming a, a group of G men and becoming a member of shield which i you know i i would like to see him continue and maybe pop up in some later movies i really enjoyed him in the film uh, and he could be like the new colson in the film since colson you know i Maybe they'll bring him back into the movies, so it's, I, I, I'm, I still haven't watched the season of Agents of Shield, but I hear the season this next season is the end, so maybe mm-hmm. Colson can come back in the movies because we still love that character. Well, but, we, we do know that Colson's going to be in Captain Marvel. Awesome, yes, because he he does need to be around in the '90s. Mm-hmm. that's true. So you know, and I really enjoyed this character in the film, I must say. Uh, so I'm really hoping to see him again. Uh, he was he was fun and funny, and he was really always just trying to do the right thing, uh, even though he's a bit of an antagonist because he's kind of the FBI guy who's kind of trying to keep Ant Man, you know, good old Scott Lang, to finish his uh,
1: house arrest. Yeah, I figured there would be you know issues from uh, Civil War that uh, yes, come into play. Uh, Yep.
5: But, you know, he's a good he's a good guy and he's 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 trying to be uh, friendly with Scott. There's a really good good fun scene towards the end of it. I think everybody will enjoy uh, the one character that's uh, a little bit of a, uh, a weird twist is this ghost villain, which uh, from Earth 5631 uh, there. I found a character that has the same costume uh, we see in the film uh but uh, the main one in the oh let's see I've uh, I gotta click on the 616 version here uh, but it was a male guy who uh, it's, it's almost a tragic story because like his 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 lover had, was killed after she had threatened to reveal that this company Ghost Tech uh, that was doing something shady or something. And but he infused his body with this Ghost Tech and made a cybernetic connection with the company system, and uh, ended up gaining these different kind of weird phasing powers. But uh, actually became a villain for Iron Man. Uh, so. It, he's worked for Justin Hammer uh, and Roxxon he's joined the Thunderbolts which is it's kind of like uh, the Suicide Squad over in DC the Thunderbolts are uh, so you know that's basically people who are generally villains who actually try to be heroes so he's this kind of interesting character but in the film the, we've got a brand new ghost character and it's a, a female character uh, they gave her a completely different origin story uh, act, she's still a very kind of a tragic figure uh, they made her interesting uh, you, you will uh, have some sympathy for her plight, uh, so uh, I I can understand maybe doing the change just a little bit. You want to be sympathetic, but you want to do something new, something different. Uh, so yeah, in the film, be prepared. It's it's nothing like anything that I'm I'm reading here about the Ghost of Earth Six One Six, which hmm. I'm I'm not that familiar with. But apparently, that he's been in some of the the cartoons. Interesting. Yeah, so it's it's something entirely new and different, but they did seem to take the look from one version and uh, some of the powers from another version and made a female character, gave her a very interesting backstory, uh, which uh, I'm, I'm really not going to get into too much because I don't want to spoil anything, uh, but it is, I think, a good time for me to review the film.
1: All right. There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see.
2: Hey, a movie!
5: Yeah, we're gonna be a movie! Starring everybody! And me! Boy, I wish I were you people seeing this for the first time! Hermit, I got a great picture of the chicken! All good! Okay, so here's me reviewing it, and if Eric wants to drop out, he can. <laughs> uh, but I'm gonna try not to spoil anything, but... This, I actually like this one even better than the first one. I mean, the first one was fun, a heist film. It was funny. It was a good time. This one, okay, we, we can't do another heist film. We want to do something different. This is a lot more... This is like an Empire Strikes Back version. Not so much that it's it's darker, although it is, because now you've got Scott Lang. He's supposed to be in house arrest. You know, it's post-Civil War. And we also know that there's some pending Thanos that's going to... You know, we wanted to know how Thanos was going to uh, affect this film.
1: Oh, so we'll so, see that. So can you say if this happens before or during uh You'll see exactly when it
5: happens. Mm. I'll say that. You will see exactly when it happens. Okay. I will well, also tell you there are two end credit scenes to so do not leave after you see the first one. There is one which you kind of need one last joke at the very end of the credits because that uh, first end credit scene I'm not saying. Okay. <laughs> it's dark. It's dark. So, but it's dark. Oh. It's dark.
1: Boy. Okay. Well, yes. You know I, my my speculation and my guess, and I don't know if this ties into the movie itself or into one of these credits and credit sequences. But I'm figuring the main reason why Scott Lang was not available to assist is that he was in the quantum realm with uh, with the Wasp, and Thanos can't see there. That's my nope. guess. That's a guess,
5: and you're you almost. Have something, but not quite. Really? uh,
1: Well, that's confusing, then.
5: (laughs) Yes. Good old Scott and Pim and Hope are very busy with something else. And when you you watch Infinity War, you kind of note the whole world really didn't know what was going on. I mean, there were some incidents... In New York right. But if you happen to live on the west coast You might not be aware that there was this big Throwdown there on the street outside Doctor Strange Sanctum Sanctum. Sanctorum So they're not really paying attention to anything And they're Hmm. really caught up Because the story of this one, and I loved it Michelle Pfeiffer plays Janet Van Dyne We get a little bit of backstory And then basically what this is Is Hank and Hope Really want to find her because if Scott come b- come
1: back, then maybe, maybe she, she can, can too. Yes. Well, the question is, how would she survive all that time, though? I'm not gonna say, but that's that's the main story. So you have that going on.
5: Oh, okay. I gotta go see it. Yes, you do. Because you have that story. You also have these side stories with this ghost character. She's got a tragic history, but her involvement could really wreck their their search. For, for Janet and what can mm. happen. And Michelle Pfeiffer was fantastic as Janet. They've kind of reimagined her a little bit. I'm used to Janet being, you know, kind of, you know, into fashion. Just She's kind of a girly girl. And she does have that bubbly personality. We do see this in some some back scenes with uh, Hope as a little girl. We do get to see that bubbly personality of Janet. But uh, I don't recall Janet being as smart as she is because she's smart as a whip. And there's some really cool stuff. Uh, it's, it's a really great introduction. I'm hoping to see her some more. Uh, but the house, like, they had a mission to go and save Janet. This other has a mission to go and save herself. And good old Bill Foster Goliath is stuck somewhere in this mess. And, of course, I mean, you got other things where you've got, you know, uh, Sonny, what did I say his last name was? Um, He's got his own agenda. He is looking, of course, to make some money. He's just as seedy as dark as old Darren Cross is. Mm. He's getting in the way. The FBI is getting in the way because they're trying to make sure Scott Lang is staying in his house. And, of course, Scott's trying to hide the fact that he's left the house. There's complicated stuff, but you got all this stuff going on. And it was an exciting thrill ride. It's still funny. Good old Luis is there. They have a company called X-Con where they're working security because who better (laughs) to have a security company than a bunch of thieves? Yeah. Right? So they've got a security company starting their own business. A lot of exciting things. A lot of super fun. I liked this even better than the first one. Uh, A lot more character depth. A lot more time with Scott and his daughter. Uh, It pulls at your heartstrings like a Pixar movie at
1: times. Uh, Great, great movie. Love it, love it, love it. Excellent, excellent. Um, based on this, uh, uh, is it safe to assume that this Hank and Janet don't have the same relationship struggles that are in the comics?
5: They may have had their own struggles, but uh, hmm. uh, you know, after you've been separated for twenty years, you're pretty happy to see each other. I'm, I hope okay. I'm not spoiling
1: anything because once I told you they're searching for Janet, you got to expect they're probably well, going we, to find her. We know they're. We we know that you know, obviously. You've got Michelle Pfeiffer, um, who is a you know seasoned actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll be expecting to see an older Janet Van Dyne, which you know right there tells a, says a
4: lot.
5: Yes. So yes, uh, it's it's a great story. I'm not going to tell you how everything resolves. There's a whole lot of things that need to be resolved, uh, but I really enjoyed the way they dealt with it. Uh, it was oh, it was a great movie. It, you gotta go and go more than once. Because, oh, my gosh, it was fun uh, and clever and creative. And, uh, and Lu- they gave Luis a bit more to do because I think they realized we <laughs> really love Luis. And they even take a little moment to have Luis relate a story. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, the way he just tells his stories is great. So well,
1: and, and probably the most important question that I have. Do we have a Stan Lee cameo?
5: Of course we do. And I good. was laughing so hard. Oh, good! It was great. It was so funny when he pops up, and they gave him a little bit more dialogue. Uh, but it's 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 still just one line, but it's so funny. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I would say it's one of his best cameos because still one of my favorites was in Spider Man. Uh, I guess Spider Man Three Earth. when he says like, you know, I guess one man can make a difference. Oh
1: yes, yes, yeah.
5: That's still one of my favorites excelsior you know that was fantastic Uh, but so but this is definitely one of my one of my top appearances because it's just so funny and i was really i laughed out loud in the theater really hard with uh his (laughs) line and what happens with him you know what
1: my my kids don't need school clothes i'm gonna go watch this this afternoon
5: yes you know what go for it and uh, you know there's still a little bit of mild language in this But this one seems to have a bit of a different tone. I think they've made it to where they wanted you to bring the whole family because this is fun for the whole family. And actually, you know, Jimmy Woo, there's a a little comment there at the beginning, you know, uh, about him being good with kids. And he says, well, you know, I'm also a youth pastor. And Hmm. I don't see see very often that you have Christian characters depicted this well in a film and given a bit of
4: respect.
1: Well,
5: good. Because... I mean, a, a lot of times it seems like they're they're making fun of us. This actually was characters treated very well. Uh, the way he behaves, I mean, it's, it's perfect. I'm like, this is the way I want to be representation. So in this age where we're trying to represent everybody and be respectful of everybody, mm-hmm. I'm very thankful that, hey, they took the time to say, hey, hey let's respect them as well. Okay. So, I appreciated that, and I loved the character Jimmy Woo anyway because he was such a good character, and he really was just trying to do the right thing at all times. Even though, and he knows they're pulling the wool over his eyes, he just can't catch him at it. <laughs> but he's like, he's like, okay, you know. But you're gonna you're gonna love the character. I hope to see him again in a third film. Although there was a question mark: Ant-Man and the Wasp will return? Question mark. Hmm. So, because yeah, it's uh, there's some Thanos issues. And that's all I'm going to say. There's some Thanos issues <laughs> that suddenly... And they don't see it coming. I saw it coming. I was like, uh-oh. This would be a terrible time for... Uh-oh. There it was. <gasps>
1: so, yeah. So there's going to be some dust storms.
5: There will be a dust storm. And it's at a really, really bad time for it to mm-hmm. happen.
4: Hmm.
5: I don't want to say when it happens, but mm-hmm. somebody may have already figured out because I said too much earlier.
1: Well, as long as we have patience...
5: Just a little patience.
1: Yes, so patience enough to stick around for at least two post-credit scenes. All right, all right.
5: Yes, stick around. Especially for that last bit, because doggone it, those ants are just too cute and funny, (laughs) and they're
1: all over the place. Well, you know, I I was actually re-watching Ant-Man this week, and and I went to watch the uh, special features that are on the Blu-ray. And one of them, it talks about, you know, when they went to create the ants for that first movie, and they said... Uh, You know, we really wanted to give these ants a personality, you know, (laughs) and and, you know, the different groups of ants all had a different type of personality, like, you know, the big black ones, they were your workhorses, whereas, you know, the little fire ants were more imaginative and creative. Um, you know, but where they got down to the scale of where they could show the relationship that Scott has with these ants and even Ankh has with, with them, it was amazing. So I, I'm really excited to see where they can take that in this movie.
5: Oh, yes, because every ant that he works with has to have a name and we're going to get some more <laughs> fun ant names. So, uh, excellent. And the, Oh, and it's great, and especially uh, uh, just a quick preview. Uh, Hank has them building stuff for him. He's enlarged a bunch of ants, and they're building <laughs> oh things, goodness. and it's just so funny
1: watching them, you know, carrying things around and welding things. You know. So I, I do have a question for you. On that note, are any of them named May? Uh, I don't recall a
5: May, but we've got an like Antonio Banderas and stuff like that. So there's not an Ant May.
1: No. <laughs> Yeah, that boom, is boom. where you can groan. <laughs> yes.
5: Oh. Uh, and I'm groaning a lot. Uh, but we've gone on for nearly an hour here, and we've got still a good half-hour conversation with Peter Whitehead to tell us about some fun things going into Marceline that you can participate in. Uh, so I need to jump over to that, and y'all enjoy this conversation with Peter Whitehead, creative director of the Walt Disney Hometown Museum in Marceline, Marceline Missouri. Marceline. I'm inventing my own words. <laughs>
4: To Disney and beyond. Oh! Oh!
5: All right, Neverlanders, we have a returning guest that some of you newer listeners might not necessarily be familiar with, but if you've been with me a long time, you've probably seen him or heard him before, uh, because I've got videos with him that I created a great video about the Walt Disney Hometown Museum here in my home state in Missouri at Marceline. That's right, Walt Disney's Marceline. There's a fantastic museum there. Uh, And so what we have going on is something really cool. And so Peter Whitehead is here with us. He's the creative director. At the Walt Disney Hometown Museum, and he's done a whole lot of amazing things at that museum. So, if you have not been to Marceline, you got to come, you got to check out this museum and see all the new things that are happening in there. But uh, welcome, everybody, Peter Whitehead. Hello. Hey there, how are you, Jeremy? Oh, I'm doing good. I've hit the pool. I feel much better. <laughs> good. Yeah, it's pretty hot, isn't it? Yes, it has been quite hot here in Missouri. Uh, I think we've surprised a few people. Uh, from people I've picked up with Uber and Lyft at the airport, they're kind of surprised how hot it is. I guess they don't realize that it's summer here, too. Yeah, it happens. Mm-hmm. I think they thought we were further north. We're considered <laughs> a southern state in a lot of ways.
6: I, I hear you. it's pretty hot here in Marceline.
5: Mm-hmm. Uh, so tell everybody a little bit about the museum and some of the things that they can see.
6: Sure. Well, we're um, 10,000 square feet in really the heart of Missouri in the old 1913 Santa Fe railway station. Uh, the, the thing that I believe a lot of people don't realize is our museum was established thanks to an incredible, uh, incredibly generous gift from Ruth Disney, Walt's sister. When she had uh, passed away, she had amassed a pretty impressive collection over her time. I believe the Disney Archives might have reached out to her in hopes that they could uh, uh, secure it for the for the archives. And she said, "No, there's uh, there's only one place she wants to showcase, and that was in Marceline." So she reached out to our current executive director, Kay Mallins, and said, uh, "You need to come out and and grab these pieces." Uh, and when she passed away, her her son Teddy said, uh, now is the time. We have a, a room full of pieces for you. And we have 3,000 artifacts in our museum, um, a lot of correspondence, a lot of uh, larger three-dimensional pieces. Uh, I, I think a lot of people are surprised when they come to the museum. They're not sure what to expect. And I think we we tend to surpass people's expectations.
5: Yeah, it's a really, really educational <laughs> I learned yeah. a lot my first time there, and you're always putting something new in, so there's always something for me to to see that I haven't seen before.
6: Yeah, I, I think a lot of people came to our museum for the first 15 years of our life, or 14 years of our life. To be fair, we we didn't change a lot, but we had uh, we still had some amazing pieces on display. People tend to come to our museum and love our museum and we needed to give them a reason to come back more often. And that is, as, as you alluded to, the reason that every year we are pretty committed to uh, changing our story to some degree, whether it's just highlighting a different piece in a, in a unique way. But ooh, the stories that happen in Marceline that, that talk about the entire Disney family are so special and they're so uh, integrated into the Disney company's story that it gives us the flexibility to to do a, a deep dive sometimes in a piece that not a lot of people know the history of, for instance. So we're in a
5: lucky position. Yeah, and you even have some artifacts that Walt gave himself, like that Disneyland flag that you've got displayed. is fantastic to see. That used to be at the Park School that became the Walt Disney School. Oh, it's so cool.
6: Well, it wasn't it wasn't on display in the Park School, but when the in um, in 1960, when the Walt Disney Elementary School replaced Park School, Walt brought a yeah two beautiful flags. One a Disneyland flag with this uh, beautiful silhouette of the castle on a, a pale blue background, and the second one is a, a really unique piece of history for us. It's a Disney, or it's a Mickey Mouse flag. It's got an orange background, and it uh, really was only meant to fly two places, according to Walt.
5: Uh-oh, I think we lost our signal.
6: He wanted to fly it in Marceline, and he wanted uh, it to fly uh, over his apartment in the Disneyland Park. So that, that flag has been gifted many, many times, absolutely, because we get some people saying, well, I've seen that flag elsewhere. But uh, in his speech, he said he only envisioned it flying two places, and, and we are one of those two places. So
5: aren't we incredibly lucky? Oh, Yes. Now, the other thing you're also – we're incredibly lucky, although it's not there right now, was the Midget Autopia. Yes. And so that's yeah. kind of one of the big things while you're on today is the Midget Autopia unfortunately had to be torn down. But tell us all about the Midget Autopia, of what it was. Sure.
6: Well, it was a ride uh, that, that was established in Disneyland in, in 1956. So it was a year after the park opened. There were four versions of Midget Autopia. There were, there were two Autopia rides, one in Tomorrowland, I believe, one in Fantasyland. They merged. So if you went to Disneyland today and you rode Autopia, it is those two rides merged into one. There's a ride called Junior Autopia, and there was a ride called Midget Autopia. And Midget Autopia was meant just for kids. It was on a, a, a hard track, like a, a center pole so you really had no control over where you were going, but it was for little kids. Uh, and uh, Walt never loved, I think, that ride because, as as we've often talked about, Walt loved the idea of having fun with your kids, not watching your kids have fun. And so when It's a Small World came from the World's Fair, they were looking to clear up some space, and they removed this ride. And instead of just dismantling it, Walt, through his private company, uh, Retlaw gave it as a gift to Marceline. And it is historically significant because it is the only ride that has ever left a Disney-run uh, park and maintained operation without Disney's control. So – It's a special piece. Uh, They sent Admiral Joe Fowler, who was then the general manager of Disneyland, to come and oversee construction, and it opened up on the 4th of July, 1966. And it ran in Marceline for 11 years. So it ran for a year longer here than it did in in California. But (laughs) after 21 years, that ride needed a, a pretty big hug. Sadly, Walt, of course, passed away in December 1966, and a lot of the projects that Walt was incredibly fond of um, supporting privately, the company didn't always back up uh, Walt's crazy private uh, ventures. So that ride closed. The The city couldn't afford insurance and maintenance, and they put it into a storage bin for a while. The track wa- remained for uh, the time being. And then sadly, uh, the city decided to get rid of it. They needed room in that storage space, so they threw it in the dump. And uh, a piece of Disney history was gone. So I know of six cars, uh, five the museum has control out of, Uh, one is independently owned, and um, one is on display in the museum. The cars have been significantly altered since they ran in the track. When they came to Marceline, they got a little bit of an overhaul, thanks to uh, our our good friends in California. So visually, they look Pretty similar, but there's uh, some changes to, to things like taillights and, and things like that. But it is the 10 original cars that ran in Disneyland came here. Again, we have one that's in pretty pristine shape because it was the parts car, essentially, in Marceline. It it never reached the track in Marceline. Hmm. And and it's the one that's on display in the museum. So if you come and visit us, you can see that car in a, a, new, a brand new display in the museum this year. And the other cars are sitting in a storage bin right now, and we're trying to figure out our next foot forward and how we can uh, potentially bring that ride back.
5: Yeah, and you've been working on this for a good long time, trying to get the money to rebuild. And uh, right now you've got another good GoFundMe up and running, which you have a really great video, uh, which I'm going to play the audio of that video real quick.
2: In 1966, Walt and Roy Disney gave an amazing gift to their hometown of Marceline, Missouri. The Midgetopia ride from Disneyland was shipped to Marceline and installed on the 4th of July in 1966. That ride operated in Marceline for over a decade. So the ride was 21 years old when it had to be retired in Marceline in 1977. But luckily, the track remained. For decades, children in Marceline used that track to walk and ride their bikes and trikes on. Disney enthusiasts from all over the world came just to walk the track and be videoed doing it. In 2017, the Walt Disney Hometown Museum received permission from the Walt Disney Company to make the ride possible in Marceline again some land that's adjacent to the museum and to beautiful E.P. Ripley Park, which was here when the Disney's were here. And you would often find Walt and his family there on Sunday afternoons where his dad sometimes played his violin at the town gazebo. Phase one was the purchase of the property and some landscaping. Next up is the return of the track. Everything in Marceline is done by volunteers so we need help from all of you out there, all over the planet, to make this a reality. So this is your opportunity to be a part of Walt and Roy's story, her story in Marceline. So help us make this a reality. Thanks.
5: And that was the voice of Kay Mallins, who you mentioned before, which if you come visit the museum and you get a chance to talk to Kay, or if you find out she's speaking somewhere, she's got a lot of great personal stories of meeting Walt. Uh, it's fantastic. Uh, she's yeah. a really, really awesome person, too. She's really sweet and nice and everything. So meeting her is, is just a, a joy. So you got to come to the museum and meet everybody.
6: <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's amazing that we have two people that work in our museum. At, we might have talked about this before, but they both knew Disney. They they both knew Walt and Roy, and, and not superficially. They were quite good friends, stayed at their house whenever they came to Marceline. And although we celebrate maybe three times that Walt came back uh, specifically to be um, hailed as the Walt Disney that the world knows. He came literally dozens of times, uh, sometimes would just jump off the train because the train used to stop every three hours and he would uh, knock on uh, the Johnson's door and invite himself for dinner or sometimes he'd stay over. And it's it, it an inc- it's just an incredible connection and what a blessing for this, again, very small museum in the middle of Marceline to have those kind of people and those kind of stories uh, to share with guests who come.
5: Oh, yes. And so now the goal is to have the Midget Autopia to be able to share again. And so your the property from it uh, looks like in the video is it's part of Ripley Park, but kind of uh, like just a, just off to the front or back of it. It is.
6: It's, it's closest to the to the track side. Now, uh, there used to be a road that went through there. The museum purchased that property two years ago. Uh, we've been working with the Disney company to get permission to bring the ride back uh, ever since I've been at the museum, which is uh, almost three years now. And last year, they finally gave us written permission to bring it back. Uh, if we actually physically build the ride again in the future, it can look exactly like Midget Autopia, but we're going to probably change the name because uh, the Disney company is, has held the right to to keep that name, Midget Autopia, for their use uh, in the future, so um, a lot of things could happen. Really, the the thing that we want to do right now, and and the number that we're hoping uh, to raise to bring this back, is to bring back the walking track. So, for the last forty plus years, after the ride was removed, the the concrete track stayed in um, in Disney, the Disney Municipal Park in Marceline, mm-hmm. and kids. Kids played on it and guests went and visited. And if you go on YouTube, you can see dozens and dozens of people who videoed themselves walking that truck because it is a such a beautiful little slice of uh, Disney heaven in Marceline. So
5: I have the, a video of that myself that I posted. There you go.
6: <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people that do. So the thing that we'd like to do is, number one, bring it closer to the museum and, and to the heart of the city. So by purchasing that land, we we recently had a D23 event in Marceline probably a month and a half ago now. And we did a little uh, ceremonial shovel in the ground, uh, saw a turning ceremony to, to celebrate the eventual return of the ride. So Disney was excited and on board with that. But because we're asking for, I think, a fairly significant amount, but much smaller than the actual physical cost of bringing the ride back, is to bring that walking trail back. It's uh, – it's, we're going to take really significant but careful steps as we move forward and know that we can bring something back that is um, is going to hold up in the weather. And it'll be open uh, 24 hours a day, uh, seven days a week for visitors to come back and do what they've done for 40 years that they haven't been able to do for the last probably 14 months, which is to walk the original layout of the Disneyland uh, track. We have the original blueprints that we can go off of. So the, the land's reclaimed. Uh, there's grass growing on it now. So it's a nice extension to Ripley Park. But we would love to bring that walking trail back this year if possible it's uh it's a special thing and it'll link up the museum so you can go visit the museum without having to cross the street you can make your way over to ripley park you can walk that trail you can sit under the original uh open close awning that the the entryway we want to bring all those pieces of the puzzle back including the original um dedication plaque we have it at the museum yeah, so it, it, all those pieces are are here. And I think the thing that we need to do is to show Disney that there are enough Disney followers out there that truly appreciate this piece of his, history. Um, the Disney company is mulling over right now how they can financially support the museum. But we can't sit and wait for that to happen. And I think the proof is better served by... Getting that Disney community to say, we understand the importance of Marceline. We're going to support this and have the Disney company reflect and look and go, wow, look what they can do. People understand the significance of Marceline, so we have to step up to the plate next time.
5: Oh, yeah, it'd really show them something. That would be great uh, to get a lot more company support up there because there's so much more that could be done in the area to really celebrate that history and the impact that Marceline had on Walt. Uh, I mean, you can see influences of his love of nature and trains in the parks, in the films. I mean, that's where he sat in it under a tree and told stories to his sister that was the beginning of all the storytelling in his films, in the parks. I mean, there's so much there in Marceline to see, and to have the, at least the walking trail back would be great. 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 Uh, Is there plans to get the cars running again at any time?
6: Well, uh, it would be nice if we get the walking trail back. It's the perfect uh, foundation Mm -hmm. for the the eventual return of the ride. So it makes perfect sense to start where we would need to start anyway, which is a a concrete track. And then at some point we can do one of two things. the, The thing I often think about now, you know, With 3D technology and you can throw on a set of goggles and and enter a a virtual world – there's one thing to physically have those cars back on the track, and that would be spectacular, but incredibly costly as well, yeah. uh, and maintenance and all the things that that you have to fall into, just like the city did uh, 40 years ago. But wouldn't it be cool if you took a, a different perspective that you can still go walk the track, you can still visit, you can still take pictures, you can still videotape yourself, but maybe someday you can walk into the museum and you can sit your son or your daughter in uh, one of the original cars and they can throw on a 3D goggle set and they can drive the original nineteen sixty six track at Disneyland. Oh, now, cool. I mean that's just talk. Yeah. But you know, that's the joy of of dreaming. I mean if you really want to go back to the, the genesis of of why we're even talking today, it's Walt Disney and Walt Disney mm-hmm. didn't passively sit back and said, Well, that's too hard or that's too big or that's impossible. He dreamed. He dreamed about amazing things. So I'm, I'm no Walt Disney, but I'm certainly capable of dreaming incredibly big things from time to time. And so I think the sky's the limit on what that ride could be. It, It doesn't have to be the exact physical return of that, um, 1956 original ride, although that's a possibility, but the boy with technology, the world just opens the door to a zillion different things.
5: Oh, yeah, because even a simulation would be special. That would even be something as as an adult I'd want to put those goggles on and and feel like I was doing it.
6: (laughs) Exactly. Well, Jeremy, think about it. That that car, if we return the ride uh, and be faithful to Walt's gift to us, no adult's going to be able to ride that ride.
5: Right. <laughs>
6: but if we do bring back some sort of a 3D modeled version of it, and and who better to partner with than the Disney company to do that? Because mm. they are certainly um, the, the kind of people I would want on my side if I was going to build something like that. And you're right. Any adult could not only you know sit his kid in that car as they went on the ride, but you could sit – or stand behind them and pop on those goggles and take that same journey back in time. What a treat
5: that would be. Oh, yes. All right. Pie in the sky, but but, but possible. Yeah, absolutely. Possible. Anything's possible. Yes. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Oh, oh, I'm excited about that idea. But first things first, we got to get this walking trail up. That's right. So everybody make sure you go to the, to gofundme.com slash Autopia. And I will have links in the show notes. Make sure you go and check it out and tell other people to come and donate. We get this thing built and then make sure you come and visit so you can check yeah. out the walking trail. But there, you got something big coming up, even as a visit. Now, uh, there's a big gala going on. Is this part of like a fundraiser for the Autopia or is this just a great, fantastic event that you're just going to enjoy either way?
6: Well, I I think it's a, it could be a little bit of both. Um, the Dreamy Tree Gala it's going to be our second um, Dreamy Tree Gala. Last year's was uh, held in Disney World at the Contemporary Resort, and we had the uh, the the last uh, CEO of Walt's private company, Retlaw, speak for the very first time to share his story. That's that was a pretty magical event in in Disney World, and this year it's coming to Marceline. So. Literally on the, the Disney farm, so guests will be able to sit in a, a beautiful tent literally on the historic Disney farm. And here uh, this year, Disney legend Floyd Norman talked about not only his amazing career, but if you were at or if you missed his presentation last year at D 23 where he talked about the book that he worked on with uh, which with Richard Sherman, uh, A Kiss Good Night. Uh, so much Yeah, and so much of it is inspired by Walt's time in Marceline. Mm -hmm. So he's going to come and share that story. And then again, if you've ever visited Walt Disney World and gone to uh, Port Orleans and and seen a gentleman by the name of Yeehaw Bob play in The Roost. He plays just about every weekend in Disney World. And I think he has for the last uh, 16 years. or I might be wrong, but it's a long time. Yeah. He's a Walt Disney World Legacy Award winner. And I contacted him to see if we could bring some music to the gala this year. And he responded in about five minutes and said, I have never been to Marceline and I've always wanted to go to Marceline. So I'm in. And we hoped he'd play a couple of songs. And and it turns out he's going to play an entire show. So he's going to be he's going to be playing for an hour, I think, in Marceline. It's going to be a crazy
5: fun event. Oh, wow. He's going to be like a kid in a candy store when he gets out there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think so. He, he's pretty excited. So yeah. So there's not
6: um, – we just found out today that all the Walt-level tables have sold out, but there are still Roy-level um, seats available, which are the single seats. And, um, yeah, again, as a, as a Disney fan, there is no more magical place. It's It keeps making me think about uh, the D23 event that came, that people paid uh, quite a premium to come and – and and share something pretty spectacular in Marceline mm-hmm. for the day. And I think for a, a fraction of the price, you're going to have the exact same feel and the exact same experience uh, in Marceline. So if you did not get into the D23 event and you want to spend a – a pretty magical night on the historic Disney family farm. You should go to uh, DreamyTreeGala.com. And they have not only um, – we have some rooms set aside for hotels for people to come and visit, but that that gives you a link to get your tickets available still. So there's, a, there's not many left. There. I think there's about um, 60 left. That's it. So once they're gone, sadly, we can't expand it. So that's my only warning. That if you're waiting to think about it, uh, you might think yourself out of a, a pretty amazing night.
5: Yeah, and I'm uh, I'm trying to find the way to make it work. Our, our budget's a little tight right now, and I'm looking at that ticket price. I'm like, oh, I think I I can maybe manage it, but yeah, I don't know. It's 155. That's a really good price to yeah, be able to so come to this.
6: Last year's event in Marcel or in uh, Disney World, uh, a single ticket was 400, dollars and, and you know there are. Uh, prices. I mean, Disney is an expensive place to hold yeah. an event, and and it was magical. It ended with fireworks and uh, all that fun stuff for us on, on the park. Uh, to me, the the idea of coming to Marceline every second year is to give people who can't afford the uh, the really dressy throw on a tuxedo and and show up at a black tie event in Florida that that it's that chance to come and see something just as spectacular, but. But by golly, you can wear running shoes and jeans because it's on the farm and it's casual and and it's it is going to be I swear equally as magical as our, our Florida events minus you know some of the the pixie dust that the good good people at Walt Disney World can can help us with. But uh, it, it is going to be. Uh, a really special event. And I just love our guests. Floyd Norman, mm-hmm. if you've ever had a chance to meet Floyd is just about the, uh, the nicest human being on the face of the earth. And, and I'm quite in love with his wife, Adrian, and she's uh, joining him and she's quite an accomplished artist, uh, in her own right. She works for Disney as well in publishing. So the, those two people are not only special to me, but they're special to Marceline. This will be the second time that they've come back. And, um, And I can't wait. I just can't wait.
5: Yeah. It's August the 11th. Did I see that right? yeah, August 11th. the 11th. It's a Saturday. Yes. So I have time because I think by the end of July I will have – oh, wait a minute. August the 11th, am I going to be – I think I'm going to be back in town by then. I hope I am. I will make sure I'm back in town by August the 11th because I, I should have money by the end of the month and I'm going to get myself. So – I'm <laughs> going. I got to get to this thing because I've never gotten to see Yuha Bob perform. Had him on the uh, show. He's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I got to talk to the people who made that Floyd Norman documentary – and uh, they were awesome, oh, cool. but I haven't gotten to meet Floyd yet. And I want to get the documentary signed. I want to get that book signed. So Perfect. I really want to get there. Uh, one quick question I think that would be useful because I notice on the website it's talking about accommodations and that you have these hotels set up. Now, does your $155 also cover your hotel or do you need to no. make sure you cover your hotel? Okay, so hotel is separate.
6: Yeah. I um, mean so, there's a lot of people that don't need a hotel, but there's a lot of people flying in from California, for instance. Yeah. And, uh, they need a place to stay, and so we needed to make sure that we uh, blocked uh, some rooms off in those hotels so that you didn't book a flight and then uh, show up in Marceline and have no place to stay. So,
5: yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's summertime. You could sleep out under the stars somewhere. Go to oh. Ripley Park there.
6: Wouldn't <laughs> that would be a sweaty mess,
5: but Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sleep with the trains, you know, there you go. (laughs) Oh boy. I don't know if you could sleep because of the trains. Right, because they go by like every 15, 20 minutes, I
6: think. Just about. You know, people come to the museum and we have a sign up that says uh, we have 70 trains that pass a day. And people say, oh, that's funny. That can't be true. And then, sure enough, a train will come by and then another train and another train. They're like, oh my God, it sounds like there's more than 70. I'm like, well, that might be today. So,
5: yeah. Yeah. Oh, but definitely this is very exciting. And even uh you've got an old – uh what was it? Uh, a former ambassador. I forgot what year. Uh, let me look at this again here. Uh, but you have one of the former Walt Disney World ambassadors. See, a 2005 Walt Disney yeah. World ambassador Christopher White is yeah. actually coming too. Yeah,
6: and uh um that's the unique thing about buying a Walt level table uh that no one else will hear sadly, but he is going to share his Disney story with those Walt level table guests at a kind of a special cocktail party ah. ahead of the gala and then um we're taking a horse drawn wagon from the event over to the gala. So there is a there's ma- uh, you know there's a reason sometimes where you want to splurge. I know it's a, a premium, but what level tables get um, spoiled just a, a touch more, but yeah. for for Christopher to host the event, he is obviously uh, a passionate Disney fan. Being a former ambassador, I just got together with him uh, a couple days ago to go over the the event, and he is incredibly excited. He's he's just passionate. He's a he's a Disney fan, just like everybody that's probably listening to this podcast right now, and truly understands the importance of why we're doing what we're doing and and how he can participate so what a joy to have those kind of people uh in our lives and and to help us share our story
5: yeah and uh well disney world ambassadors are very special people they're delightful of course i've only met ken facey so far but if he's an indication what disney looks for in their ambassadors uh chris has got to be an awesome dude
6: yeah Yeah, no he, he truly is and he um he uh, just he, he gives and gives. He comes to a lot of our speaker series events. Uh, he just gave some money to our GoFundMe account for uh, for Autopia, and he's coming to to host our event. So um, yeah, I can't say enough about him. He's he's really a really special person, and his family tends to come with them. So it's it's nice. They they have a three hour drive from their home every time they come and visit, but they pretty religiously make that trip down to Marceline. It's it's worth repeating for them to 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 just partake in that history. It, it means a lot to them.
5: Mm-hmm. And for anyone who, if you maybe can't make it to this, there's still a lot of other fun things to do around the museum. You do have a speaker series that you had mentioned before. Uh, I've gone to, let's see, I've, I guess I managed to make it to two or three of those. Yeah. Those are always a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, I, I only see that you, you've had Jim Fanning in there. I missed that one. Yeah. Uh, but I figure you've got plans for some others coming up this summer. We do. So um, we haven't announced dates yet.
6: Uh, the ne- the next one's actually going to be one of our museum founders, Inez Johnson. So when oh. we talk about, yeah, when we talk about people who knew Walt, um, Inez uh, is at the point in her life where she's getting tired of sharing that story. And I <laughs> said to her, Inez, we have to have a speaker series event with you. And she said, I don't think anyone's going to care. I, I don't want to keep telling my story. And I said, Number one, people will passionately care because. Yeah. Uh, not many people knew Walt Disney, not many people hosted the Disney's in their family home and not many people got invited to California and visited their Homeby Hills property and rode Walt's train in the back and stayed overnight in Walt's apartment in in California and Disneyland and don't think those stories aren't precious to hear. And so she said, well, I will tell this story one more time and that's about it. So we're going to hopefully firm a date up pretty soon uh, and then there's a couple other Disney people that we've reached out to that we're still, once we figure out uh, Inez's date, we will, uh, the other ones will fall into place as well. So that's all, yeah, that's going to all happen. I, I suspect we're going to have at least two, if not three more speakers this year. Cause the, the other thing is the museum is no longer seasonal. So right. uh, we used to be open April 1st and close the end of October and Uh, someone at disney said to us a really smart man said why do you close (laughs) (laughs) why do you shut the doors um, for such a long period of time and there was no good reason why not and we opened uh, a month early this year to start our new season and we had uh, a month that will be probably one of the busier months of our year and so now i'm excited to see what happens in december we're gonna have uh, the odd weekend where we have uh, choirs from local churches come in and sing on a Saturday. The acoustics in our building is stunning, and just to decorate that 1913 railway station uh, for Christmas will be special. So it's it's nothing but onwards and upwards. There's a, there's a lot of really crazy good things happening in Marceline.
5: And everybody can go to org. That's O-R-G. You can find everything about the museum. You can plan yourself a trip and come down there. Make sure you come to the Scala. Make sure you go to the GoFundMe. I'm going to put links up to all this stuff so you can awesome. definitely attend that. Because it's, I, I'm excited to go. I've just got to, got to work the budget. I'm a poor college student right now, but I, I, <laughs> I, I so badly want to go. This sounds so it. great. It's so, going to be great. And the
6: thing I would say, um, the, the one – sort of parting uh bit of wisdom not that i'm a very wisdom filled guy is uh, a lot of people think that they need to give a really significant amount to the gofundme campaign and we've been very lucky we started off with a bang so we've been going for uh you know four weeks and and we're at about 10 percent of our goal already and those are with um incredibly generous people who gave fairly significant uh, significant amounts but if you think about it um If you gave a dollar or five dollars and you challenged 10 of your geekiest Disney friends to match you and and we started spreading like wildfire through the Disney community at a very small level, it doesn't take long to to hit that goal. And I would say as soon as we get about halfway through our goal, we're going to enter the next phase of construction. So uh, we don't have to have all the money in place to start moving forward. Uh, we certainly will probably need all the money in place to finish everything that we'd like to do. but there is something powerful about this Disney community you know, all over um, not only Missouri but you know people can listen to your podcast all over North America and um, you know a dollar or two or five is a transformative amount when you get enough people that that agree with what you're trying to do and I sure would love to show Disney just how passionate um, fans are of Walt's story and Marceline.
5: Oh yeah. The, not all the Disney fans are out there on the coast nearby to a park. Some of us are right here in Missouri and around yep. the Midwest. Yep. Absolutely. All righty. Well, thank you so much for coming along and telling us about all of this stuff. I'm excited to go and cool. Uh, and I'm hoping to see you there in August. If Sounds not, because I'm a, I'm a frequent visitor to Marceline. So <laughs> you certainly are. Yep. All right. I love but, it. Yep. And thanks to you once again. Cool. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast.
3: We invite you back next week for more fun and adventure.
5: Until then, remember to keep a pixie in your pocket.
3: It's that young at heart, positive attitude that you can share with others.